Those of you who have been coming for the past couple weeks know that we started in the book of Revelation, what we are calling our summer school series, Lessons for the Church. And I know for some of you, when you say Revelation, your mind, uh, Revelation, not Revelation, which that's the way I like to say it, is the proper word is Revelation. Um, but often when you hear that word, your mind shuts down, you know, stuff that I don't know about, there's predictions that I don't, yeah, so some of you got in. But going back to my childhood in elementary school and high school days, whenever the teacher brought in, I think there were 16 millimeter projectors, you know, the big reels, and, and guarantee it's going to jump or it's going to break or catch on fire or melt down. I mean, those of you who are alive in those days and you saw those kind of big uh, projectors coming around, that was a happy day because, I mean, it, it's like the teacher's bringing something extra in and it's an exciting time to uh, maybe learn it visually uh, something you're going to study. So, uh, here's a happy day for you. Play this video. This is a road trip. Next stop on our list, Smyrna. Smyrna, an ancient city now surrounded by the modern Turkish city of Izmir, was originally established around 1000 BC. Greek settlers established Old Smyrna on this small peninsula jutting out into the Aegean Sea. Now it was in Old Smyrna that the famous Greek poet Homer, author of the Iliad and the Odyssey, was born around 850 BC. History tells us that a shrine to Homer stood in the city during the Roman period. After the time of Alexander the Great in the late 4th century BC, New Smyrna was built by the Seleucids along the coast and up these slopes of Mount Pagus. Now this region eventually developed into Asia province during the Roman period, and Smyrna, strategically located between Ephesus to the south and Pergamum to the north, developed into a wealthy port city. In fact, it was one of the most important cities of the entire province, with a population of nearly 100,000 residents. During the Roman period, ancient historians said that Smyrna was a city of great beauty and impressive architecture that circled Mount Pegasus like a crown. There was a great harbor, a massive agora, and a theater on the northwest mountain slope that could hold 20,000 people. This wealthy city was also known for its exceptionally good wine. Smyrna was severely damaged by an earthquake in 178 AD, but was quickly rebuilt. Now the layout of the city we see here today, and most of these structures, are pretty much the same as they were in the late first century when John was writing. Here's a portion of John's second letter in the book of Revelation. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation, the second chapter will begin with verse 8. I think I asked you to stand last week, so why not stand for this, uh, this letter to the church of Smyrna? creative To the angel of the church in Smyrna writes, These are the words of him who is first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not 
but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for ten days. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Let's pray. Lord, as I open your only word once again, as John records the revelation that Jesus gave unto him, he gives words to a church that was in the midst of persecution, suffering, trials, and temptations. And Lord, that is so appropriate for us in 2021. Let us learn from these verses. Let us be comforted by your promises. And Father, if there's someone here today who's never come to the saving knowledge of your Son, Christ Jesus, I pray that this would be the hour, this would be the day, that again a new life for them. Let your grace rain down on us, for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for standing. Appreciate that. Recalling our framework from the last week that I'm going to use each of the seven weeks of these seven churches. We'll give a report card, we'll talk about homework, and we'll talk about rewards. Uh, as I said, each one of these letters have similar parts, and I just kind of um, melted them down to those three different areas. It's only fitting that Smyrna is the second church. It competed with Ephesus as the greatest city uh, there in Asia Minor. It was also called the most beautiful city in Asia. Even referred to at times as a flower or a crown. Hey, you can see you know what? Everyone's going to look up and you make eye contact at it and go, wow, that leopard. Yeah. Um, and I think it's interesting how these words that would have been in their minds, in their vernacular, leap off the page. Jesus tells us that you will receive a, a crown of life. They thought they were living in the crown of Asia. But like his opening letter, he begins with the one who died and came back to life. The city of Smyrna, as you heard in that video, was destroyed after the writing of this letter, but it was also destroyed prior to Jesus' birth and rebuilt that time as well. So it had been re re rebuilt multiple times. So once again, another connection uh, to death and to life again. Like Ephesus, it was a port city, very wealthy, beautifully designed, and was known for siding with Rome in almost every decision that could be made across the empire. In verse 8, we are reminded that Jesus is sharing his words that John is writing down. He says, I am the first and the last, just like he said in the first letter, or the first chapter. He is the Alpha and the Omega, he said it that way, who overcame the grave, and he's come to Smyrna, and giving them the report card. So, before we look at their report card, let's look at the report card from Ephesus that we used uh, last week. That's what, and somebody asked me about the church, well, what was their average? I think that comes out to a C plus. Which when I was in school, I mean, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> Probably finish finish a scholarship to college, but uh, it's passing. So, uh, the challenge I asked you last week, though, 
If you use those same categories, your Christian service, your perseverance in the faith, your ability to love one another, and then even hating bad things, not hating the people who do bad things, I ask you to score our church and to score yourselves. Anybody do that, or did you just hit the restaurant when you left and never thought about it until now? You didn't do it? You don't want to do it. That's a matter of course. It's always true when he speaks. I don't want to do it because I don't want to see what kind of grace I would get. I try really good on hating, but I hate often the person and the action. Yeah. And I don't get the D minus or we talk about. I think Gary's the one who told me E used to be excellent. So that's probably why we dropped E when we got to high school. We called it F, you know, when we were failing. Perseverance, oh, we're all hitting this, aren't we? And then work. Oh man, I'm lazy. Yeah. So, but let's look at this first straight A student that we have. I think I have their grade card next. Um, before you, you have uh, the report card of Smyrna. And just to impress you, because I didn't know that word, phonetics. Phonetics is the study of suffering. Study of suffering. Uh, most of us could write our own sufferings and say, well, I have studied suffering throughout my life, but uh, this particular uh, word comes from a man, um, a PhD, uh, Ralph Sue, S-I-U, is how he spelled his last name, uh, who actually formed a society on helping prevent suffering, either by the hands of others, by institutions, by governments, etc., etc. But the Church of Smyrna needed no higher degree in suffering because they had experienced from the uh, College of Hard Knocks. They were suffering in the midst of a rich, beautiful city because they followed Jesus. Let me say that again. They were suffering in a rich, beautiful city because of their faith, because of who they claimed to believe in. There was a large Jewish population in Smyrna, and undoubtedly we need to con converts for this church, the origin of this church, came from Jews who had accepted Christ as their Savior. And now they find that their Jewish brothers and sisters are taking every opportunity to make them suffer for their faith in Jesus. Isn't it interesting how sometimes even people of faith are mean to other people of other faith? They're different at all from yours. I can remember, I think it's 1999 or 2000, where the Southern Baptist Convention was going to send 100,000 missionaries to Chicago. They wanted to send 100,000 missionaries to Chicago to help feed the homeless, to help do whatever they could do, to be servants of the Lord, and then obviously to proclaim the gospel as they were going around about. Uh, it made headline news in the Chicago, uh, I think it's the Chicago Tribune. In any event, in the headlines in one of those two Chicago papers, it basically said that the World Council of Churches, the, the community of churches there in Chicago, had asked the Southern Baptist Convention not to send those 100,000 to help because they were afraid their evangel evangel evangelical works within the city might cause more pain and suffering for other faiths. Well, these followers of Jesus understood what it was to suffer. And we'll talk about that a little bit on their A-plus grade for finance. Finance. It says they are poor, but 
you're rich. How, how do you explain that? Well, most church historians speculate that the Samaritans could not find work. And they could not even perhaps purchase food in certain areas because the market and many of the skilled laborers were Jewish people. And because of their faith in Christ Jesus, they were excluded the good jobs, if you will, and the good food. Jesus tells us, I know that you're poor, but yet you are rich. Emperor worship was in vogue, if you will. Actually, it was mandated in Smyrna at the time. Once a year, you had to go to a temple that was dedicated to Caesar and burn incense. And after burning incense, you were given a little certificate that said you had practiced uh, Caesar worship. In fact, you had to say a part of that little formula, that, if you will, liturgical event for them, uh, you had to say Caesar is Lord. So you can imagine the response of Christians who would not say that Caesar is Lord, that only Jesus could be Lord, and would not sacrifice anything on a pagan altar to Caesar. They were in the midst of suffering. They were in the midst of being poor, but Jesus tells them that they're rich because of their faith in him and because of the grace and mercy and forgiveness that comes from the Father. A plus in persecution. Satan is mentioned, I think, in verse 9 for the first time in the book of Revelation as the epicenter or the reason that the church is persecuted. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, he calls the synagogues of Jews who would persecute the Christians a synagogue of Satan. Obviously, you should not apply that to every synagogue throughout Scripture or even in these modern times. But he's clear to say that if you're pursuing me, you are being an advocate, a mouthpiece, if you will, of Satan. Persecution would continue in Smyrna. Those of you who have studied church history have heard the name Polycarp. I'm looking now at Chapman Thomas. I'm sure you could do a paper on Polycarp, right? Yeah, C minus? <laughs> I'd be lucky to get a D plus if it were not preparing for this sermon. <laughs> Polycarp uh, was the bishop of Smyrna, and uh, about mm, 60 years uh, after uh, this letter is written, uh, when all were told to confess that Caesar is Lord, he refused. And as church tradition, uh, factually he was burned at the stake. Church tradition has a lot of different things about it. That he was led by an old security type guard that everybody in the city knew the bishop. Just as you would know the bishop. If you were Catholic, you would know who the bishop of San Antonio is, correct? So he is the bishop, if you will, of Smyrna. And he is being led to be executed because he would not accept Caesar as Lord. And it says, the, the old guard said to him, why don't you just confess for a moment that Caesar is Lord and your life will be spared? And the quote that most theologians will give back to you, he says, 80 and 6 years I have served my Savior and he has never betrayed me. Why should I betray him who saved me? And when they got ready to tie him to the stake, now this is in the church uh, tradition, because he said that he did not need to be tied to the stake. 
I will remain here because of my love and my service to, to the king of kings. And of course he was burned and the, the, the fire didn't burn him so they actually stabbed him and that's how he left this world to go on to the next world. So in that context of that, I know that's after this letter is written, he is telling us that you're going to face persecution. Remember this, Jesus knows your troubles. He knows your financial problems. He knows your work problems. He knows your family problems. He knows your marital problems. He knows the problems you have with your kids, with your grandkids, with your next door neighbor who's mowed your yard one too many times. You know, he's cut a tree down. I'm just going because I haven't done that with my neighbor. But he knows the troubles that this life gives you. And he tells you to be faithful. It's like you got a letter from Jesus that says, in fact, I can imagine this. I, I, I heard one guy uh, preach it this way. John comes running in with this letter. I got this letter here from Jesus. And it talks about all your suffering. And it doesn't say you're not going to suffer. I mean, what a letdown for a letter, right? I mean, here's the prescription not to suffer. No, he says you are going to suffer, but stay faithful to me. A-plus in persecution, A-plus in finance, and A-plus in fanatics. Second, let's look at homework. You need to prepare. You can go ahead and throw them all up there. Prepare for suffering. For some Christians, they think that suffering is not being able to go to Chick-fil-A on Sunday. Wow. And, and I mean, economically, here in the city of San Antonio, you know that that's why Chick-fil-A is not in the airport, because they weren't open on Sundays. And I mean... There is a financial uh, loss at times for your Christian beliefs. But Jesus is saying, they're going to come and lock you up because of me. And he uses the word or the expression 10 days, which is it's more of a figurative expression. It doesn't mean 10 literal days, it, it, most commentators would say. But it does imply a shorter period. They would lock you up for 10 days. And I wonder this morning, have you committed enough Christian acts to be locked up for your faith? Have you been associated with the Savior? Broken enough barriers of hate and prejudice with love and forgiveness that you would be locked up for Jesus? Well, prepare for suffering and get ready for testing. You know, um, we went... Uh, to our favorite happy place other than church. I know Wade has told me that many times. This is the happiest place you are. But Wade, if you can go to church in Hawaii, that's a real happy place. And, and we like to go to Hawaii and when, when we're able to do that. And this year we went in, in May and we had to have a COVID test before they would let us in to the state of Hawaii. There is a test. There is a testing for Christians. One, you, you have to re receive Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That's, that's the biggest box to check. But he says, get ready for testing here in this world. Because if you're living for me, you will be tested. He goes on to say, be faithful. Hang in there, if you will. Be faithful, not just for the moment, but for every day. Even when it's tough. Even to the point of death. Let me read that section for you. He says... I think it's verse 10. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. But be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown 
of life. I stumbled on a book this week called The Search of Common Good, The Christian Fidelity in a Fractured World. It's by a guy named uh, Jake Meter. And he talks about the fact, and I read most of these little sections online, but in 2015, his father had a uh, traumatic brain injury, basically had a, a stroke that left him immobile and in need of 24-hour-a-day uh, care. And he said, since 2015, my mother has been his caretaker. But someone from his church, he said, I came back home at multiple times. And he said, I, and when he was at the writing of that period of this book, which I think is a 2019 copyright, he said, I came home to see that mom and dad's yard had been mowed by a lady from the church. And she is still mowing the yard as it's needed three years since my dad's traumatic brain injury. Why can't we be faithful, not just in the moment, but a week, a month, and even three years down the road? He says, be faithful. There are also hazards ahead. Satan sees the advances of any of our programs here at church and in your life as opportunities to prey upon you. When you lose a job, let's say when you don't have financial stability. And as we prayed today about, I think, Wade, once again, twice I pick on you, same sermon. You go home today, Cliff ain't going to pick on me for six months. He mentioned my name twice. In his prayer, because I do listen, he said, Lord, you don't need it, but we're commanded to give. Right? And it's so easy to say, well, you know, it's the tough times right now. It's, it's, it's uh, you know, pretty slim between paychecks. And my uh, dear friend Mark shared with me a story that illustrated the rich and, and poor so well. Uh, Mark will probably start crying if I don't cry first. He told me that when he was a kid, he got to spend the night one night at uh, another boy's house. And they got up that morning and uh, that boy's mama went to the refrigerator and pulled out store-bought jelly. And he came home and told his folks how rich that family was because all they ever had was the jelly that his mama had made. And thought they were rich to be able to have store-bought. And as Mark texted me this week, he said, Man, what I would give to have one of those jars from my mama. We are rich if you will only look at the blessings that the Lord has given you. Your wallet may not be so fat that it makes you uncomfortable when you set. But your heart has been changed if you have only accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you are rich in God's grace. So be careful of the hazards ahead. When you think because of suffering, persecution, or testing, and your lack of faith, that he's not worth serving. Watch out for the hazards. And finally, as we look at this passage, here's that foot stomper, your reward. In verse 12, as I said, all these letters have this last a different, but a reward that comes from he who has ears to hear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Now, uh, Dan and I were exegeting that passage on Thursday off the top of our heads. <laughs> what does that second death mean? Well, 
after Dan and I conversation, I said, well, I think there are a number of ways to look at it. And anybody who says this is the definitive answer probably uh, is mistaken. I, I will tell you that the best that I can say is that, uh, I, and I read one commentator that explained it this way. Those of you who have only born, been born once will die twice. A physical death and a separation death from the Lord and Savior. But if you have been born twice, born by, you know, born by your mama, and then born again by the Savior's faith in him, you will only experience death once. That is, assuming you die before he comes again. That's that idea of a second death. In fact, I think Jesus alludes to it in, um, I think that's Luke. Go to your Bibles to Luke, the 12th chapter. Uh, verses 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after killing of the body, has power to throw you into hell. Those who have professed Christ Jesus will not be hurt at all by a second death. And here is the reward, that crown of life, and victory over death. That's the good stuff. And we need to hear that in the midst of all this suffering and persecution and testing that we will receive a crown of life and victory over death. Now, anybody watched the Olympics the past couple days? Yeah? Okay. Um, I like hearing the backstories in the commentators. You know, this person had experienced this childhood disease, or this person, it's their fifth time to come, or, or tried to come three times and didn't make it two times. I like to hear those. But of course, my, one of my favorite Olympians, because uh, it has to do with flying, and anything that has to do with flying I like to pay attention to, is Louis Zamperini. And those of you who remember Louis, the, the, the movie, uh, the book, uh, Unbroken, He's the guy who was the fastest high school runner in California across the nation in high school. And then by 1936, he is able to be selected as an Olympic runner and go to Berlin. Uh, he knew he wouldn't win. In fact, his plan was to go four years later, but he did not get the opportunity to go then because a thing called World War II came along and he served as a, a bomb, bombardier navigator on B-24s. And those of you who know that story, he was uh, shot down, survived, I think, 40-plus days in a raft, and then eventually over two years in, in different Japanese POW camps. Um, he dealt with post-traumatic stress. And some of you say, well, now I don't have to see the movie. No, you still need to see the movie or read his book. He dealt with PTSD, alcoholism, until his wife attended a Billy Graham crusade in California. And uh, eventually he went and would become a follower of Christ Jesus, and actually Billy Graham helped him establish some of the ministry that he did. Here's a little clip where he's talking with his brother Peter, or Pete, who was the reason that Louis even became a high school track runner, because he was really running from the police more than anything, because he was involved in a lot of things that church members shouldn't be involved in. So let's watch this clip. This kid Zamperini runs like his feet never touch the ground. That's 
Tim in the black shirt. Next Olympics, that's when I show him. This is just the tryouts for Tokyo. Tokyo. Smart kid. Take care of yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Go have a little fun, too, huh? Say out of those pretty German broads for me? You know it. <laughs> clip a moment of pain is worth a lifetime of glory we may be living in painful times but there's a promise of a life and glory that those who know Jesus will experience stand with me please we pray our Lord now as we come to a time of invitation in this service if there's someone here who has felt the pain of this life and is carrying sin and unconfessed sin in their life and they're saying I want freedom from that. I, I want to experience the forgiveness that only your son can give. Lord, this is the time. Allow your Holy Spirit to move in our midst and let them feel the freedom to come and, and confess sin and to accept Jesus as their Savior. Perhaps someone just wants to come to these steps and pray. Lord, we want you to be welcome and your spirit to be welcome in this place. And Lord, I pray that you would call your people to respond to you now. This I ask in Christ's name. Amen.
Thank you for coming, and I appreciate uh, that song so much. Uh, those of you who came out to our Sunday school teachers meeting at nine, uh, thank you for coming. Um, Pierce mentioned those who were in that little training we did how important the role of a Sunday school teacher is, and uh, I was thinking to myself, in many ways, it's more important than what I do, because a Sunday school teacher will spend a lot of time with you. And there you will get questions answered one-on-one. -on -one. And uh, if you've thought about teaching a Sunday school class, uh, we're here to want to recruit you and help train you. Uh, because those small groups, those ways of building community and building strength in our church are essential for our lifeblood, if you will. So thank a teacher today uh, at every level. Monday through Friday, as well as Sunday school teachers. Uh, thank you for being here today. And Jesus, I said I'd only say this once, uh, but Ellery can say, the day I was baptized, Jesus was there. <laughs> I said, he's always, I'm sure he's heard that joke his entire life, uh, but uh, I mean, <laughs> Jesus on the piano, I mean, what, what a way to go. All right, uh, let me see who's got a microphone. Steve, you got a mic, and a Sunday school teacher. Would you close us out in prayer? Yes, sir. Father in heaven, we thank you for another opportunity, Father, to, to be here in your house. Father, we thank you for the message. Father, may we take uh, these words that we heard and apply it to our lives. Father, may we uh, show the people around us the love that you've shown us. Uh, we love you and thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. amen.